Welcome to Ports of Praise Online. This is a message by Pastor Clay Williams entitled, The Existence of God. I guess I scared some folks off last week, but that's okay. We are, um, by God's grace, we have been, uh, worked really hard. Excuse me, John has worked very hard this week. And uh, we are actually, we do not have a website as of yet. But for the, I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with iTunes. But (laughs) if you are familiar with iTunes, okay, because you download it for, all right. Becca, um. If you're familiar with iTunes, all of our messages and sermons will be on iTunes. Um, yeah, we have started already uh, putting there are about three or four sermons on iTunes now as we speak. Uh, one of mine on the table of the Lord is online. Um, the one Bill Parsons did on Passover. Um, and I think uh, the one on the message on Ruth is online as well. So, um, if you're not familiar with iTunes and would like to be able to, what you can do is subscribe uh, to Courts of Praise on iTunes, and uh, it's a free subscription, and it's a free download, and uh, so if you ever miss a Sunday, and Lord willing, Wednesday, um, all of these will be on there as well. So, uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this evening. We thank You, Lord, for what You're doing in and among the hearts of Your people. God, it is our prayer tonight that this would be the beginning, Father, of a strong foundation. Lord, we're going back to the base of who we are. And Father, it is my prayer that You would ground us and root us in Your Word. Father, I pray that You would bless the hearers tonight. Lord, to receive the Word, to embrace the Word, to live the Word. God, I pray that You would help me tonight to speak clearly. And Lord, I pray that uh, that as after we leave tonight, that there would be questions that we would begin to be able to answer concerning who You are. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, couple of things. Paul, I'm going to ask you to help me. Um, I've got some things for you just to hand out. To It's going to help us in our discussions and in our dialogues. Uh, and it's going to help us in our learning. So, anyway, we're going to, if you will, just take one of those and uh, pass those around. You will see there is a verse. Each week, I am intending to give you a verse that contains most of the content of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, You could actually, what would be great, is that you could use this for Scripture memory. Okay, you could use this for Scripture memorization. Um, Now, uh, if you'll notice, it says here, Romans 1.18, it says God's wrath on unrighteousness. We're not going to talk about tonight God's, we're not going to talk about God's wrath tonight. Um, but we are going to discuss um, who God is. This God's wrath is actually 
just uh, the topic of this section of Scripture. So, um, but we are not going to get into God's wrath tonight. That's going to come at a later session. But the questions for personal application. My prayer is that at the end of these sessions, you would have a well enough handle on the Scriptures and on the topics that we've talked about to be able to look at these and make some sense. I'm not going to answer all of these questions for you. Okay? What I'm going to give you is a base level of knowledge to look into the Word and find the answers. And so, anyway, um, I think there's just a couple more. If we have some more handouts, if you'll give some to these youngins. Did you have, Did they get one? Okay. Alright, great. So, tonight we're going to address this issue. Uh, the doctrine of God um, and His existence. Now, there are several things. We could probably spend 12 to 14 weeks on the doctrine of God. Um, I don't know that we'll spend that long on that. Um, however, we are going to spend tonight talking about His existence. And we're going to try to answer this question tonight. How can we know that God exists? Now, as we begin to talk about this, I, I know what you're, you're, maybe some of you are thinking. Perhaps some of you are thinking, you know, I'm a Christian. I know that God exists. Why do we need, we, let's just skip. Let's go to the next chapter. You know, you get a book and you want to read it and you're like, mm, I, I kind of know that. You know, but here's the thing. Every day, you run across people who do not believe that God is. You see, the Bible says that we know that God is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after Him. And now, but there are people that we run across. Now, uh, one of the things that I'm hoping for is uh, I really pray that, um, that this will be enlightening for you to our young people that are in the room tonight. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for you guys to dig in and learn something about the nature of God, the character of God. Because your faith, all of our faith is actually rooted in, is God, does He really exist? And then if He does, is He a person of His Word? Really? I mean, isn't that what the whole... I mean, our faith is on a book, but we've got to know, do we really believe? Can we explain to other people? Now, so we're going to try to answer this question, how can we know that God exists? Alright, Christy, next slide, please. Um, you will see in this next slide, we talked about this last week. Now, I'm going to get you to do something with me. Um, can you guys read that from there? Okay. I would like for you, if you went to a Methodist church, you'd probably read this every Sunday morning. So, we're not Methodist, but I think it's good. And what we may do is keep this in here um, for the remainder of our session together so that this is drilled in us. This is known as the Apostles' Creed. It was the earliest scripted uh, creed, if you will, of... Their basic Christian beliefs. Now, they were, I think I may have mentioned this last week. Because of persecution, because of fleeing, they never got together as a group of men, leaders, male leaders within the church, and discussed 
their basic beliefs. This was the initial first doctrinal discussion. And they said, okay, there are people coming into the church who are trying to bring in things that are, uh, that are an error, that are they're, uh, heretical, that will cause people... They, they called them damnable heresies. And so, um, in order to prevent that in the work... I mean, can you imagine? You've given your life to build a local church, but someone comes in with another teaching. Remember, Paul said in Galatians... If anybody, I don't care if it's an angel, an apostle, I don't care. If anybody comes to you and preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. Let the curse of God be on them. And so this was their first time of getting together, formulating, okay, here's some essentials. And the reason we're doing this, number one, it gives us doctrinal unity. Number, uh, the second thing it does is it's going to help us be on the same team. We all want to be on the same team, right? Amen. doesn't matter if you play offense or if you're on defense. We just want to be on the same team. I don't have to score. Uh, a good friend of mine, Scott Young, says, you know what, brother? He said, I don't, want to, I don't have to be the one that uh, scores the touchdown. All i got to be on is the same team. And see, that, that's what we want to do. So I'd like for you to read this with me as an affirmation of our faith tonight. You ready? Start off. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and He sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Alright. Now, if you will, Christy, go to the next slide, please. I want to show you the next two slides, but we're going to stay right here for just a moment. Our parts of a statement of faith that we are adopting. Currently, the only statement of faith or our rule of faith here is the Apostles' Creed. I have presented to our leadership, to our elders, that we would adopt uh, this statement of faith. And this is not all of it. There are several parts to it. But this is an excerpt from that statement of faith. And here's what it says about God the Father. It says that God the Father is the creator of heaven and earth. By His word and for His glory, He freely and supernaturally created the world from nothing. Through the same word, He daily sustains all His creatures. He rules over all and is the only sovereign. His plans and His purposes cannot be thwarted. He is faithful to every promise. He works all things together for good to those who love Him. And in His unfathomable grace gave His Son, Jesus Christ, for mankind's redemption. He made man for fellowship with Himself and intended all that, creation, that all creation should live to the praise of His glory. I love this. The Westminster Confession of Faith. 
the very first thing it says, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is man's primary purpose in life? And the answer to that question that they memorize is, it is to live for the praise of His glory. Amen. Uh, if you'll go to the next slide, Christy, you'll see that the statement of faith uh, talks about that God is triune. There is one God, infinite, eternal, almighty, and perfect in holiness, truth, and love. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Coexistent, co-equal, co-eternal. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Yet each is truly deity. One God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. It is the foundation of Christian faith and life. Every Christian that we would consider Christian believes in this doctrine. There are some we mentioned last week who do not. So we're going to get into that in the next few weeks when we address the doctrine of the Trinity. How can this be? Uh, Augustine said, you know, uh, trying to understand and learn about the Trinity will drive you to be a fool. But to not try to understand the Trinity, you'll live like a fool. So we've got to find the balance there. So, next slide please. So how do we know that God exists? I'm going to give you three uh, basic reasons tonight. And first off, we're going to see that we have, an, there is an inner sense within us. Whether you're Christian, non-Christian, there is, a Jew, Gentile, there is an inner sense that God exists. And, uh, you know, I did not get an opportunity to change that. We're not actually reading backwards. Uh, but that's Romans 1, chapter, verses 18 through 25. So, um, let's look at this passage, and we'll probably come back to it on several occasions tonight to just address uh, what Paul says to the Romans. Um, I took a class several years ago by Dr. Ron Cottle, and he said it this way. He said that people are judged based on three types of revelation. He called it general revelation, which would be an inner sense of God creation, and then special revelation, God's Word, the Gospel. So people are held accountable by these standards. Um, and so, as we get here to Romans, let's read what Paul has to say to his, uh, to his Roman brothers. He says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God listen to this is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although they knew God they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So, first off, in verse 21, I want you to make note of this. How do we know God exists? Because we have an inner sense. Where do we get that from? Right here. Verse 21. They knew God. 
Now, we're going to talk about this in just a minute. Did they know God in His entirety? Absolutely not. But they knew there was a God. Because there was something that told of Him inside of them. Um, and we're going to explain this just a little bit more. Um, verse 22. Um, the last half of verse 21. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, so verse 25, it says that they exchanged the truth about God for, for a lie. Now, most scholars would agree that this implies that they actively or willfully rejected some truth about God's existence and character that they knew. Now, some people would say, well, this is original sin. They were born with original sin. And yes, we do. We, we have all, we're all born sinners. Um, but Paul implies here that we willingly each made the decision to reject God. So, in order to reject something, there has to be an inner sense that there's something there. Verse 19, I know we're going to backtrack here. But it says what, it says that we, for what can be known about God is plain. Um, because God has shown it to him. So here's three witnesses right here in chapter 1 where we see that there is an inner sense. Now, uh, next slide please. Um, we all realize this. I think Ryan would realize this at school. Probably uh, Daniel has seen this before. We have all experienced this at some point in time. There would be people who would not agree with what we just said. True? There would be some people who would say, well, really, there is no inner sense. I don't have an inner sense that there's God. I don't, I don't believe that there's God. I'm an atheist. I mean, I don't believe that there's a God. Well, so how do you... How do you um, bring together those opposing sides? How do we? If somebody tells you, "Listen, I don't believe. I don't feel like in the deepest part of me there's a God." Well, Scripture explains that. Uh, let's look at several verses. They're all already up here. Uh, Psalm chapter fourteen. Psalm chapter fourteen says, "The fool says in their heart, in his heart, there is no God." So. How can people deny this inner sense? The Bible says because they're foolish. They are fools. Um, what about Psalms 53? Psalms 53, verse 1, says the fool says in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Psalm chapter 10, verses 3 through 4. The wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. 
when you run across people who adamantly believe that there is no God and they deny an inner exist they deny an inner sense of the existence of God the reason they do so is because the Bible says number 1 they are they're fools number 2 he says that they are wicked he also says that they are prideful and what these passages tell us is that sin comes in and it corrupts our thinking so that we don't think rationally, but we think irrationally. And so thinking irrationally, we deny God's existence. And that is the only way someone can say there is no God. So what does that mean practically? I mean, because just in case... And just in case it's not clicking for you. What does that mean practically? I love this passage right here in Psalm chapter 10. Because it almost lays it out for you, doesn't it? He says that the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. Listen, someone who doesn't want to agree with you that there is a God. The reason they don't want to agree with you is because the greed and the wickedness that's in their own soul. They want their own desires fulfilled. And if there is an exist, if there is a God, if God truly exists, then what that means is, is that they can't always get their way. Now, when we begin to talk about the doctrine of Christ, this is going to become very important. As I was looking and studying this week for a couple things that I had to minister on, I looked up the word for a lesson I did with some men on Tuesday morning. Um, I looked up the word sovereignty. And when I looked up the word sovereignty, it meant one who ruled independently over. And you know, I, I, we need to get an understanding of sovereignty and supremacy in the church. You need to get that. That, that is the most important thing that you'll learn. You've got to get, it's almost like math. You've got to learn two plus two equals four before you can get into what they call magic math. Or before you can go to Algebra 1. Or you, before you can go to Geometry. or You've got to learn your times tables, folks. Before This is the basic edition of the Christian faith. God alone is supreme. And He is sovereign. And He rules over all things. You see, many times we misunderstand who God is because we have too high of a view of ourselves. Why? Because within us there's pride. Within us there is wickedness. Within us we can be foolish. It's amazing to me that Paul would say in 1 Timothy that, <clears throat> that he, would, uh, he would say that he is, he talks about being a, 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 the sinners and, and about sinners coming to know God. And he says, of whom I am foremost a sinner. Now wait a second. This is the Apostle Paul. He's saved. He's not a sinner saved by grace. He's a saint who sometimes slips. He's both and. He is a saint who sometimes slips. But he is also a sinner. If we ever get away from the fact that we do not view ourselves as sinners, what begins to happen is we begin to think that we're higher than what we really are. We talk about man being made in the image of God. Well then guess what? God does not reflect us. 
we reflect His glory. And if you don't understand that God is sovereign, that He rules over all things, you will not get what we're going to talk about in the future. And when we begin to talk about man, when we talk about angels, when we talk about end times, when we talk about salvation, you will not get the picture because you will think that man is greater than God. And atheists don't get it because they want to be their own God. It's not that they deny God. They want to deny the true sovereign, His sovereignty. But I want to take it a step further. How many times, and this probably isn't the right place to talk about this, but how many times do we deny God His sovereignty in our own lives? We say, well, you're not truly supreme over all things. I've been reading a lot of passages of Scripture the last, the last four or five days, uh, especially when I, when I found out that Mike and Mary were, were coming up and, and uh, they were going to teach for me on Sunday. I just went into uh, meditation and study mode. And so, on Sunday morning, you know, which normally I spend in time for prayer and preparation, um, I just spend it in reading Scripture. And so, I read, you know, the first five chapters of 1 Corinthians again. Um, I read, I, I can't remember what all I read. I read the book of Habakkuk. And then, um, I read Hosea. And I read some of the Ephesians. And, you know, in all those passages and in all those places, there were times when God said for His people to do something, and then it makes sense. But because God is, see, that demands something from us. You know, when we talk about who we are, and we talk about salvation, and we talk about the supremacy of Christ, we're going to hit the issue of, of the fact that we have been bought with a price. We talk about liberty and freedom. Yes, we are free. Yes, we have been set free. But you know what? Paul also said, I'm a bond slave. Of Christ. You see, where you tell me to go, I'll go. When you tell me to stay, I'll stay. What you tell me to say, I'll say. But you know, um, many times in our relationships, the reason, the reason we have a, such a tough time in our relationships with friends, relatives, uh, people in the church, the reason I think a lot of people have had trouble here is because they don't understand sovereignty and supremacy. Y'all all got a blank stare on your face. If God truly is in charge of your life and in your direction, and you're submitted to His Lordship, if He has you serving, you don't get to choose when you pick up and walk off. You don't turn. If you join the army, you don't determine when you're going to go in. Oh, hold up, recruiter. I, I got a 5 o'clock today. I can't leave. You know, I'm, May 1st doesn't work for me. You know, you don't get in the army. And, you know, I heard a story one time about a guy who, who uh, uh, got sunburned really bad, was unable to fulfill his duties for a period of time. They almost, uh, they almost threw that boy in the brig because he did damage to army property himself. But yet, we want our independence, don't we? You know why? It's because of this, these issues, the wickedness, the pride. Now, I want to just point out something. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, um, I want to point out some things uh, that, that will show you how the Romans were prideful. If you look in verse... Uh, he uses a series of action verbs that indicate 
that there was a willful suppression of the truth. You understand what I'm saying? Do you know that a lot of times when sin comes upon you and you're, you're tempted, you know what's right and wrong. And a lot of times what has to happen is there, has to, there is a willful suppression of the truth. You know, I, I have been so convicted lately um, concerning my relationship with Crystal. Um, God has, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would say that it's been a woodshed time for me. You know, where He's taken me to the woodshed. Um, but it has been a loving, gentle correction. It, he has helped me see some things in His Word about my responsibility before God. Do you know when it comes to when it comes to my love for her and or us men, our love for our wives and our spouses? Do you know how highly? God thinks of marriage. He thinks so highly of marriage that he says, hey guys, guess what? I want your marriages to be good because the world is going to equate marriage with my relationship with the church. You're an example, guys. Go do it. Let that sink in. People will think about the church, the relationship of Christ to the church, like they think about our relationship with our spouses. Read Ephesians 5. Just look at it. He said, love her as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Come on. You know, she don't, she, you know, she don't have to do things right. She can do things wrong. That still doesn't, that, that still does not negate my responsibility before the Lord. And we've had, we've had several personal moments of where, you know, because the Lord's been taking me there for, a few, for, for several weeks. So if it's so in our marriage, what about in our relationship with people within the church? What about the relationship of the pastor to the congregation? What about the relationship of the pastor? If God is supreme, if God exists, if He is sovereign... What does that mean to me? Okay, God, I get it. You exist. So what does that mean to me? That means that there are times when He'll allow me to do what I want to do. But then there are times where He's going to call me back into question and call me back into what He's intended for me to do. Unfortunately, because he allowed me to go my own way, I may have some ground, a lot of ground I gotta make up, but he still wants me to accomplish what he's called me to do. You know what? It's kinda of like, you know, son, you can go you can go to Dairy Queen if you want, but I want you here at seven forty five. You can go. But I don't care what you've got to do, you better be back here at seven forty five. Sometimes God'll tell you, you know what? You wanna stay home this week from church? But my plans for you, my plans for you to fulfill this role within that church, you're going to submit. 
You may have to make up a lot of ground. You want to go? You want to lay out? You want to do some things? You know, it blows my mind, people, at how many times I've had people come in. People tell, try to tell us how to run a church, how to, how to, how to guide, and, and, and my Lord, and don't ever show up. I'm going to tell you something. Let me, let me just say something right there. I'm going to put this on tape. If you don't show up, shut up. And I'm saying that in a spirit of humility and love. Because, you know, I mean, you may have some wisdom on a lot of natural things, but man, I got a lot of folks in here with a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of prayer. Sometimes God requires you to go there. Sometimes God requires you to make up some lost ground. Amen? Okay. So, um, so here it is. We see that there are some active verbs that indicate that there is a willful suppression of truth. Verse 23, he says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Don't we do that? It's idolatry. Probably one of the most rampant sins in America. It's such a rampant sin in America, we probably don't even know how to identify it. Because it's so ingrained in, in our lives. We set everything else above who God is. That man, it's hard to kind of pull Him out. If He, Man, I can't believe you'd ask me. You'd ask me to be committed. God. <laughs> Why? Okay. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. I used to ask teenagers a trick question. I would say, does God ever give up on someone? <laughs> and they would say, no, He never does. And I said, well, yes and no. Sometimes He'll allow you to run your course. Kind of like a dog. You take him off a chain, you put a shot collar on him. He thinks he's free. <laughs> he walks up to that fence and <laughs> I've seen dogs wet themselves. They missed it so bad. Sometimes God will let you run free. If you don't realize, he got a shot collar on you. <laughs> you better watch out. Better stay in the yard. <laughs> Verse 28. And it says, and since they did not see fit. What does that mean? They did what was right in their own eyes. People who deny the inner witness that there is a God do so because they just do what's right in their own eyes. Why? Because they want to worship themselves Rather than the Creator. Because the Creator is going to require something from me. And then uh, finally verse 32. It says, though they, knew, though they know God's decree, that those who, do not pra- who practice such things, they des- this is kind of hard, they deserve to die. They not only do them, here's another action verb, so they do them, but they give approval. Isn't it something how we in our culture, we like to... We, we, Here's what we want to do. We don't really want to sin on our own. Right? We want to get someone else to sin with us. You know? I mean, the first time you ever drank, how many of you just, I mean, you just go to a bar on on your own one day? No. It was somebody going, hey, buddy, come on. I'm drinking a beer with me. Right? Or maybe it was, you know, you're at the house and and, uh, uh, one of your friends comes over and you talk to them. Man, they say, hey, come on, come check out my dad's liquor cabinet. I'll be checking out. Right? How many times that happened? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Philip Bradford. <laughs> Good friend of mine. 
added awareness of God by Christians. Next slide, please. Now, for Christians, there's an added awareness, of course, of God. Um, And also, Christians give an added testimony that there is a God. Why? And this is the, the top one is so hard for most people to see. How many times have I heard a testimony about someone who had went their whole life never knowing what it meant to have a loving father, and then one day God revealed Himself to them? They don't even know what it feels like. They don't even know what it looks like. But yet, they understand it because God has revealed Himself to them. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We see in verse 16, that the Spirit also bears witness with us that we are children of God. And then there are multiple other passages, but for time's sake, um, we won't go there. Let me just give you the references and you can look them up. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. Um, I will read Colossians 1, verse 27. And then there's John fourteen, twenty-three. Um, let's hear what if when we begin to study the doctrine of Christ, everyone needs to read through Colossians. It's uh, probably it's one of my favorite books. Um, verse twenty-seven says that to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, God wants to reveal Himself to people through us. That's part of our purpose. And then we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, that this awareness that we're given by God is so intense that it says that we love Him who we've not even seen. Remember Jesus when He went into the upper room? He said, yeah, blessed are those who have seen and believe, but more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Next slide, please. So, we've talked about uh, general revelation or an inner witness or an inner sense. Um, Now we're going to kind of combine two of them and talk about how Scripture and nature show that God exists. Um, now, here, here's the thing. The Bible is not a document trying to prove the existence of God. Uh, Ryan asked me a question today about creation. Um, did creation happen in seven literal days? You know, six days and then the day He rested? Or was it millions of years and... And God created. Wasn't that basically the question? Okay. Um, And, you know, I told him, I said, well, I personally believe that there were literal days. Because he was asking me, what he was asking actually, now I remember, was um, how old is the earth? And he said, you go with the old earth theory or the young earth theory? Well, I go with the young earth theory. I personally believe that the earth is probably only about 6,000 years. So, uh, that's just 
that's my opinion. Now, can we have absolute proof in Scripture? Well, yeah, I, I kind of think so. But I'm not going to argue with you, if you, you know, over that as long as you don't bring evolution into it. Because God didn't set the process rolling and leave it for evolution to take over. You throw that in and I'm going to disagree. So, um, so, so, the reason I brought that up is the Bible was not written as a textbook for science. Really. Now, the children of Israel use, and Jews use uh, the Old Testament as teaching, and they'll use the first five books of the law for school and then the books of history for their history classes. So, yes, it can be useful in instruction, but God did not intend for the Bible to be a textbook on science. Okay? Um, but, so, you know, here, it really, it's a textbook on, on uh, really, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I could wrap it up into one thing. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the purpose of God in, maybe the purpose of human existence with God, I don't know. Something like that, maybe. But, um, so anyway, so, First off, the Bible assumes that God exists. You know, we're going to see claims like the fool says in their car. It's almost like, it's almost as if what's happening is, you mean you don't believe? What are you saying? Yeah, only the fool says in their heart there is no God. That's the perspective the Bible has on it. Um, another thing I want you to see is the intricate nature of humankind shows the glory of God. Shows the existence of God. Um, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 suggests that every created thing gives evidence of God's character and His existence. It says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Listen, everything that God made shows a sign of His existence. I have heard people talk about before how hard it is to believe in evolution. It would be like saying that if you took your, your wristwatch or perhaps even your phone, which is what serves as most people's wristwatches at this point in in time, and you was to take your phone and you was to lay it on on the thing to believe in evolution is basically believing that you can take this phone and you can smash it into millions of pieces and then expect it to suddenly begin to reform itself and work. You see, the detail of this phone shows me that there was someone intelligent. Now I know what you're thinking. Sometimes this phone is a whole lot smarter than I am. But the person who made this phone knows how to operate it. Right? It's kind of like VCRs. Or what about those flippers? i got four of them at the house. And all of them are universal. You know? So, I, I mean, <laughs> I can't get the number to line up. So, to look at humanity, to see how man was created, we can tell the glory of God. I love what Psalm says. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. 
It says the heavens tell of the glory of God. Now, let me say this. So, because we believe in God, when we believe in God, I, I want you to know this. We don't believe in God as Christians because of what we see. It's not because of what I can prove. I want you to hear me. My belief is not in what I can prove or disprove. Because my knowledge is limited to what has been created around me. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, you know, people used to think the earth was flat. Now they think it's round. Right? Now they know it's round. So, I mean, technology has increased. Man's knowledge has increased. So therefore, you know, before, there were people who would claim you a heretic if you didn't believe the earth was flat. And they gave you a biblical reason for it. What about the issue of our social conditions? What about slavery? In the 1860s, in the early 1800s, one of the big issues of slavery, you had the southern church and the northern church writing memos back and forth. And so you'd hear a lot of southern churches who would preach on, man, if you didn't have slaves or if you didn't own slaves, they would be preaching about how, how and you didn't allow for it, that how ungodly you were. And then the northern church would say, if you ever had slaves, you don't even know God. And so they'd fight based on their cultural conditions rather than simply looking at what the Word says. So what I'm saying is, we can grow in our understanding of the Word. The Word doesn't change. We do. So, when we believe in God, you need to know that our belief, and Ryan, this is important for you guys Jackie, this is important for you. Alex, Daniel, it's important for you guys because our belief is rooted first and foremost in faith. The Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. But there is wagon loads of evidence that show there is a God. Now, uh, next, I'm going to give you just a few big words and I'm going to explain what they mean. This is just the technical part of the doctrine of God. Um, these are called traditional proofs. Excuse me, concerning God's existence. Um, the first one is cosmological. Everybody say that with me. Cosmological. Okay. Um, why do we need traditional proofs? Traditional proofs are a way to get people to think rationally. Do you remember? Um, you remember that we said, though, before, that sin, though, because of sin and the human condition, we tend to think irrationally. So these four things that I have up here, all they are is an attempt to share God with other people. So guys that are in school or people who are talking to people at work, these are four ways that people tend to talk to people and get them to think rationally they're trying to get irrational people to think rationally about God. These are ways you do it. Cosmologically, here's what this means. Everything, every known thing in the universe has a cause. It's cause and effect. Every known thing in the universe has a cause. In other words, it is an effect. Something happened to produce it. What did it? So there's a cosmological evidence. The second one, teleological. This is kind of a subcategory of the first one. And, and, you know, it took me like four years just to remember what this word means. But if you break it down like this, it's uh, teleos, T-E-L-E-O-S. That means 
or, or telos actually means end, goal, or purpose. So what this means is, is that we begin to share our faith about God and we focus on the evidence of harmony, order, and design in the universe. And so what we do is we argue that design gives evidence of an intelligent purpose. What are they calling this in the schools nowadays? What are they trying to get when they're trying to get creationism back in schools? They're not calling it creationism. What are they calling it? Does anybody know? What? Does anybody know what they're trying to... They've had big arguments about it in North Georgia. Oh, come on. It's called intelligent design. <laughs> so what they're trying to do is they're trying to show that because um, everything flows together... There was something bigger than all of us that created it. And so that's, the, that's what this means. So if you can write, you know, basically what we're saying here is, since the universe has a purpose, there must be a purposeful God. Since the universe has a purpose, there must have been a purposeful God. Or there must be a purposeful God. Uh, the third one, ontological. It, what it does is it begins with the idea of God. Um, who is defined as being greater than which nothing can be imagined. Uh, and it then argues um, the characteristic of existence much, must belong to that person or that being because it's greater to exist than not to exist. Now, this is for the philosophical types who like to talk about, I think, therefore I am. You've all heard of that, right? Um Basically, because of um, because there's something greater than all of us, that's how they argue. So, uh, and then finally, moral argument. And this is how a lot of people try to use in their salvation um, attempts at trying to witness or evangelistic attempts uh, the moral argument. And what this does is it begins with man's sense of right and wrong. How many of you have done this? Well, we know God exists because we each know. We, eat, we all have morals to some extent, right? And so that's how we argue this. Um, and we all have a desire to see justice done, right? And so what this argument does is it says, well, there must be a God who is the source of what we view as right and wrong. Now, other people will argue back to you, well, what's true for you may not be true for me. And, and you know what? You can believe the way you want to believe, but let me believe the way I want to believe. Okay? And, and the, the problem with that is, okay, you go over there and you take their car and you smash it into a wall. That was right for me. Well, hold up, but you can't affect anybody else. So they start adding clauses. But there's a principle. What's right for one must be right for all. So, anyway, there has to be someone who is the source of what's right. Now, uh, the ultimate reality. Next slide, please. Last slide. I need to bring this to a close, okay? I'm going to blow through this, but I think this is the most important part of what we're going to talk about tonight. The ultimate reality is this. God must enable us to be persuaded. For us to fully know that there is a God, we can see proof in nature. We can see an inner witness from other Christians. We can see all of these things in creation. However, unless God opens our eyes to see, we are blind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason your friends at school won't believe and and the reason that you fight them every day and the reason you fight people at work is because the enemy has blinded their eyes. The second thing, human wisdom is inadequate for coming uh, to know God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 says this, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Listen, we're here because of the inbreaking of God into human history through His Son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 2, verse 17 is another passage. Nothing will keep people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need. God must reveal their need. He is the only one who can overcome our sin and open our eyes. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We are dependent upon God to remove the blindness and irrationality caused by sin and to enable us to evaluate the evidence rightly, believe what Scripture says, and come to saving faith in Christ. Self-righteousness and pride kill us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word. I pray, God, that You would, Lord, that You would open blind eyes. Lord, that You would use this over the next several months to hopefully stir up in us a desire to see You glorified in and through Your people. Father, forgive us for not serving You fully. Forgive us for being prideful. Forgive us for our foolish ways. Forgive us for our wickedness. Father, allow Your light to come and shine on us so that we may best glorify and serve You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.